Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. The storytelling show that features The Clearing, where all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common. They're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors. A clearing, a tree, a juicy storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and a cake. So it's all to play for. So yes, welcome to the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we shall begin. Oh, yes, indeedy doody. Welcome, welcome, thrice welcome, ladies and gentlemen, min, 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 to a very exciting Good Books series strand episode to the Good Listening To podcast, the show that sets out to find the story behind the story of you. And as the lovely uh, Madeleine Black has written a book, we're going to find out and uncover the story behind the cover of her book. And there's a dog in the background. Yeah, he wouldn't. He would just wait for us to start, wouldn't he? (laughs) Perfect timing. Now, the reason I got in touch with you, uh, Madeleine Black, was you are the uh, self-defining courage cultivator. Mm -hmm. And you do have an extraordinary story, which I just thought was going to be incredibly compelling to find out more about. Um, And you help people to find their courage and their voice too through storytelling. Obviously, as this is a storytelling podcast, there are lots of different connections. But I was also struck with, um, obviously, that your book, Unbroken, Used, Beaten, But Never Broken. And so you do have a really profound story to tell. So I wanted to bring you into the Good Listening To podcast, curate you along the journey of all the storytelling metaphors included within that, but also invite you to go as deep as you like at any points about the story and, and the, the, you know, the deep courage and the inversion of shame that you've managed to land upon in terms of the golden thread that have pulled you through a very dark experience into how you now help and empower others. So, uh, Madeleine Black, you are extremely welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here with you. You too. So um, I'll just get going with the first question. So how's morale? What's your story of the day? Here we are in December. Omicron is on our plates. How are you doing? (laughs) It's good, actually. So I also have a podcast show, which is also called Unbroken, Healing Through Storytelling. And I haven't done any interviews for a long time because I had a situation at home. My mum had to move in with me at the end of August. So life's been a bit hectic, but she's away. So I thought... I'm going to get some episodes in my bank, so to speak. So I've just literally off my own interview from interviewing an extraordinary man who had everything to live for, was a a pilot in the Air Force, had a motorcycle accident and became blind as a result. But he's incredible. He's got so much vision despite not having the sight that we have. So, yeah, it was a real joy to get back into speaking to people again. I, I very much enjoyed what you said there, having the vision despite the blindness. Wow. And mm. we've been running our podcast, I'm gathering, in parallel because yours got going during the pandemic as well, I'm hearing. Yeah, and mine was a gift of lockdown. It started, I have a fascination for the number 44. So it started 11 minutes past 11 on the 11th of the 11th last year. You do the math, hence 44. I love yes. that. And, and my storytelling podcast got going too, actually out of adversity and my own sort of golden threads to pull me out of the darkness of everything going off a cliff was you know the fact that I love coaching and giving somebody a damn good listening to so my storytelling uh, construct was born yeah 
And I think we're about parallel. I think I'm I'm not playing more of a numbers game, but I think I'm about 90 episodes in and you're about 70 in, I'm assuming. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, this week is number 69, I think. Yeah, next week's number 70, yeah. Lovely. So it's, um, let's just find out. So give me the name of your podcast just so we know and can amplify that too. Sure. It's called Unbroken, Healing Through Storytelling. Lovely. Um, your book as well, which obviously is, is the, the real sort of genesis point of a, a really extraordinary experience you had. Um, would you like to tell the story of your book, first of all? Sure. So my memoir, Unbroken, tells my own story of being gang raped when I was 13 and then raped three more times before the age of 18. I guess it really follows my own journey of surviving, healing, um, forgiveness, transformation, but ultimately hope. And I saw your incredibly courageous and really direct TED talk as well, a really important one. And what's so important is the, or what was so in, intriguing by it was the audience's reactions as you lay out the story where people's jaws just get more and more agape because of the courage of what this person is standing up in front of us to, to talk about. Yeah, um, um, yeah, it was, I have to say, one of the most terrifying, but all equally one of the most liberating moments of my life. It was quite an extraordinary thing to speak and share your truth to 2,000 people in the days when we had audiences. And I was also so struck in, in how you managed to sort of, I suppose, invert shame as I couched it, where it, rather than internalising and making you know, the shame reside within you, you were able to invert it and actually re-empower yourself by deciding not to be shameful and to take it all forward. Yeah, to me, the only way I can now um, work my shame is to stand in it. So if I run and hide from it, it's got a hold of me. If I do the very thing it tells me not to do, which is to speak my truth, it can't exist. And actually, I was fortunate enough to do another TEDx during lockdown, which was March last year at University of Glasgow. But they've had some issues with broadcasting, so I'm not quite sure if it will go out. But it is called um, Why I'm Shaming Shame. So it actually is all about how shame eats us up and destroys us and holds us back when we allow it to. So I'm hoping they will find a way to put it out. And in the power of forgiveness that you've obviously utilised and, and chimed and resonated with in your own life, the, the thing that really intrigued me, and I, I, forgive me if you've said this in the book, but I, I don't know yet whether you ever, um, I suppose, held those who made you the victim to account through the story that you've told, or have you just forgiven and moved on? Yeah, no, I, I never reported it, never spoke about it for a good three years, and I've never met with them since. But no, it was, you know, I didn't really need them, as I say in my TEDx, to stand in front of me to meet with them to have a meeting I could make that decision just very quietly within my own heart to just bring an understanding and compassion and forgiveness I guess I had to forgive me first before anything but just all of those things had to come into place before I could really let it all go and just think well it's done now I really have to look forward I can't look back anymore and in terms of where they are geographically to you do you happen to know where these you know individuals are in, in life no idea you know i used to dream a lot and my dreams would often come true and i went to see lots of kind of alternative therapists and i went to see a medium and i'd had this dream that one of them died on his own knife he was in a fight and one of them was in prison and this woman also said to me oh, well i see one in prison and one's been stabbed and killed so i don't know if that is the truth or whatever but I've actually got no idea where they are now and I'm not really interested in, in how they are because I think 
for them to live with what they did to me is actually harder for me to live with what they did to me because I've really made an effort at cleaning up my trauma and living my life, you know, as best as I can. But to live with what you've done to someone else, I can't imagine that's an easy journey to take. And also intriguing that you haven't necessarily sought justice in the classic way. So you are not an accuser at their door, by the sound of it. You've just taken... Well, to be honest, I don't know. Even if I did want justice, I would get it because, you know, I've been involved with rape crisis, women's aid for many years before I was a psychotherapist. And currently in Scotland, the the amount of cases that make it to conviction is like 2% of all cases that actually even make it to court. So, yeah, to try and do a historical rape would be even harder to get so-called justice. But... I didn't need them to have a prison sentence to set me free, you know. I could make that decision for myself. Wonderful stuff. So um, let's find out then. Let's take you through the curated journey. There are okay. deliberate invitations and invitations to, go, invocations to go as deep as you like, wherever you like. So within the Good Listening To podcast, we've got a clearing, a tree, some alchemy, some gold, a couple of squirrels, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and a cake. So okay. it's nice, nice and fluffy and... Hurrah, hooray, hooroo. But also, as I say, you can go as deep as you like. And we're going to put your book on a sort of metaphorical plinth within the clearing as well. And um, I've invited you, if you'd like to, to read uh, an extract of your choosing of your book within the course of what sure. we uncover together. So, um, Madeline Black, what is a clearing like for you? Let's get going. So where do you go to, literally or metaphorically to get clutter-free, inspirational and able to think? Yeah, it is. That was a very interesting question. But, you know, for me on that night um, when I was just 13, I literally came out of my body and I realised I spent many, many years like um, like a house with no furniture, like I'd rented this body. It was just a vessel. It was empty. So for me to really get back to me, I had to ground myself. So I love exercise. I In lockdown, we discovered the Munros. I live in Scotland. I've now bagged about 16. I do karate. I'm a windsurfer. I walk my dog. I do yoga. So I'm a weightlifter. You know, I, I love to really get back into my body. So to do anything physical just really lands me back in. And I like the through line there of you being an activist, because obviously you're an activist for your cause yes. uh, to set others free through storytelling, but also you're action based activist as well in Absolutely. getting back into your body. Yep. So to get you to be specific, then I want to find a specific geography I can turn up with then within your exercising re- regime with my tree to shake your tree in your clearing. So where, where would you like me to t- turn up alongside you whilst you're being active on the Munros or? Yeah, I think oh, so one time we, we climbed a fabulous Munro. I can't remember which one it was. It was Ben Moore, I think. And I had never seen it before. We got to the top and there was a cloud inversion. It was one of those when you're walking up and it's just cloud and mist and everyone's saying, oh, when you get to the top, it's bright blue sun. And we're like, yeah, right. And we're climbing and climbing. And then it was, you literally walked through the clouds, bright blue, and you just saw the tips of the mountains through the clouds. And it was just phenomenal. So yeah, somewhere on the top of a cloud inversion of a Munro, there could be a tree. <laughs> like that. So far from you having your head in the clouds, your head is now above the clouds. I yeah. <laughs> And you said we, who do you tend to ascend the Monroe's with? Um, well, it used to be my little dog, but he's too old now. My husband and I, or friends, or I have a, a WhatsApp chat group with some friends called the Walkie Talkies. So we just walk and talk. So whoever's around, anyone out for a walk, anyone got a spare time, not always Monroe's, but we just like to go off and walk somewhere. 
But I must introduce you to, if you don't already know, a lovely chap in Scotland called Dave Stewart from the Fresh Air Leadership Company. He okay. loves to take people. He's, he does his own version of walkie-talkie. And in fact, he even gives us all walkie-talkies when we're all sort of taking care of the group that we're walking with. Uh, but, but that's actually what I did in lockdown. I would uh, text a friend, say, I'm going for a walk. Right? They could be, I'd be in Scotland, they could be in Kent. I'll go for a walk with you. And we just phone each other while we're both walking. Hence so we did virtual walks. <laughs> The walkie-talkies, what a great thing. <laughs> so here we are, about, you, you called it Munro Moor, I think you said, didn't you? I think it was, I think it was Ben Moore, yep. So here we are, uh, it's not a chap called Ben Moore, but we're on Ben Moore. <laughs> and this is your clearing. And now I'm going to turn up a bit Waiting for Godot-esque, because of my theatre background, with a tree where I'm going to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. So Madeline Black, we're now going to find out, and thank you for preparing this, this is where you've had five minutes to have thought about mm -hmm. four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you, two things that never fail to grab your attention. This is where the squirrels comes in, borrowed from the film Up. It's a bit, oh, squirrels, you know, what never fails to grab your attention, whatever else is going on in your heart or in your life for you. And then a quirky or unusual effect about you, we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. So it's your canape or canapé to shake as you like, canopy. So where would you like to go with the 4321 exercise? Well, I think we'll just go in numerical order, down the way, 4321, why don't we just do it like that? Over to you then. So four things that have shaped you. And this, again, is where, you know, by all means, expound as much as you like about your own extraordinary journey to now. Well, obviously, uh, it's quite obvious to everyone listening, what I speak about and what I write about is rape. So without a doubt, that has shaped and shadowed my life for a long, long time. Now it's actually shaping my life in a positive way because I do believe we can grow through what we go through. You know, I think now... I have maybe post-traumatic growth, but actually it was post-traumatic stress for years and years and years. It had huge impact and shaped my life in, in so many ways. Um, but now it's, now it's good. I couldn't do this work if I really wasn't in a good place. And I guess that's part of the reason why I do this work, to show people actually there is life after rape. People assume that you'd never be the same, which I guess you're never the same, but um, they'd never get over it. And actually, I'm here to say you can get over it and you, you can have a great life. And what's also really profound is the fact that you said at the very beginning, it's not happened to you once, which is shocking and catastrophic enough, but you have said it. it's happened to you three times in your life. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's really interesting. When I was writing my book, I didn't realise about the other three times. I just put it down to bad sex, you know, because I became one of the side effects is very normal. I became very promiscuous because I was too scared really to say no. I, I thought if I said no and I, I fought back, it would get very violent like the first time. Um, so I just put it down to bad sex. But when I was writing the book, I thought, actually, I said no, they said yes, and they just carried on anyway. So it was only in my early 50s that I realised what consent really meant and actually they were rapes again. So... All those years, I'd never even called it that. I had minimised it so much that, I, again, I had ingested all the shame and the blame and the guilt and thought that was just my fault. Thank you. So, second thing that shaped you? Um, yeah, I got to a point in my life where I, I made a decision, which I call, I guess, my best revenge, that uh, when I first met my husband, I told him, you know, I would never become a mum and he was fine. I just thought that the idea of giving birth was actually going to be like being raped again. The very idea of my 
what I thought my feet and stirrups and everything open for the world to see and men at my cervix just it it terrified me because I had major fears around men and being out of control and we were away we'd been married and we were in Thailand on a beautiful island Kopp and he just wondered out loud you know how about starting a family and I was ready to say come on you know why I've explained to you but literally something came in I don't know where it came in from and I just thought if I don't do it, then they've won. I am still giving these two young men all my power and control, and they actually don't even know about it. So in that moment, I came up with this plan that I call my best revenge, that not only was I going to become a mum, but I was just going to live my life as best as I possibly could. What an extraordinary expression, my best revenge. Yeah. <sighs> Every now and again, I quite like to let extraordinarily profound statements just hang there so your best revenge is the second thing that shaped you so this is extraordinary so we just to recap obviously we've had the fact you were raped and then re reframed your other as you say bad sex experience to be rapes too mm -hmm. and then your best revenge which then is the gift of your children yeah yeah I, I mean they are big children now 20 25 and 28 but it's still Three of the proudest things I'm very, I'm very, very proud of, you know, that I've, I've ever produced. The best things I've ever produced, I would say. And tracing your accent, by the way, where are you from? Because I'm, I'm not hearing Scotland so much. No, nope. I'm a North London girl. North London girl. <laughs> uh, one English child and two Scottish children. OK, so I'm glad I asked you that because I wasn't quite getting the Scottish twang there. And that's so, why. <laughs> that's if why. you spoke to any of my children, you would. In fact, when my eldest one was two and we were in the park and she said to me, Mum, can I have a shot on the shoot? I looked at my daughter and I I've got no idea what you just said to me. No idea. Do you know what that means? A shot on the shoot? And is that a Scottish thing, a shot on the shoot? Yes. Can, oh, I have a go on, can I have a go on the slide? Shot on the shoot. I love that. Can I have a shot on the shoot? Shot on the shoot, Mark. <laughs> I've no, no idea. idea. I love that. I've no idea, dear, what you've just requested. But yes, would you say that in English? Shot the shot on the shoot. Love that. Okay. Third thing about shapeage. Well, obviously my children, but I think yeah, forgiveness really completely altered my outlook because I was still very angry and full of revenge and full of hate and plotted fantasies against somebody harming them, you know, kidnapping them, raping them for four or five hours. Really, I was just bitter and sarcastic, full of rage. And the notion of forgiveness when it came to me, I, I never intended to forgive them. It completely just changed everything. Um, now, to me, it makes perfect sense. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a forgiveness preacher. I don't tell people... The only way you can heal is to forgive. There's, there's many, many paths to healing and I'll never ever forgive the act of rape because it is total violation, not just on my body, but my mind and my psyche. And it impacted on me for decades. You know, literally, this is a, a product of many, many, many years of therapies, a lot of therapy. So it's taken a long time to really um, drain my swamp, you know, clean up the trauma. But forgiveness just really set me free. It was my key to freedom completely. Drain my swamp to set me free, my gift of freedom. Wow. You should be writing this stuff down, which you <laughs> put it into as well. Okay, um, I think we're on to the final thing that shaped you now. Yeah, going public, <laughs> sharing my story. You know, Marina Cantacuzuno, she is the founder of the Forgiveness Project and 
I guess really through social media, she, we were just chatting and she came across my story and she asked if she could share it. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, one thing telling family, friends, not many people really knew, but to go public. And she said, you know, I didn't need to put my photo. I didn't need to put my name. It could be anonymous. And I just thought, I I'm tired, so tired of being ashamed, you know, for this crime that was committed against me. If my house had burnt down or my car had been stolen, I wouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed. Society wouldn't judge me for going out drinking, you know, whatever. But I just thought, no, I'm going to put my photo and my name. I'm not saying I wasn't terrified. I was. But that was about seven years ago, and I've never looked back ever. It's just, yeah, opened up so many doors for me, just ways I wouldn't ever have imagined. And indeed, the, the courage is something that I was profoundly struck by when I watched your TED talk, because the courage to stand there, just be pragmatic, direct, factual, you know, yeah. takes tremendous courage, which, you know, I was very struck by. Yeah, well, I thought if I'm going to say it, I'm not going to make it easy for people to digest because, you know, we hear every day somebody's raped, somebody's abused. But if we're not uncomfortable with it, then we're just going to be comfortable with it. You know, we need to be yeah. disturbed. It is disturbing. It happens every single day to a woman, a man, a child somewhere on our planet. And doesn't feel like it's getting any better. It really doesn't. And the system lets so many people down. It's so... I just thought if I'm going to do it, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it to make it easier for people to digest. If I'm going to tell my story, I'm going to tell it how it is. And it must never be normalised as the abhorrence that it is. Yeah, absolutely. So we've um, done the four things that have shaped you. Now, three things um, that inspire you, that pull you forward. I, I think people, <laughs> you know, like you, I've had the privilege of chatting to at the moment, um, 69 separate interviewees. Yeah, people are just extraordinary, you know, what they've been through, but then what they can come through as well. So this week is a fabulous man called Steve Phillip, who um, really started his company called The Jordan Legacy after his son took his own life. And he just wanted to turn his pain into purpose. And he did that straight away, you know, after his son had passed away by suicide. And he inspires me, you know, the conversations I have. And I'm just so fortunate to have met the people that I've met. They just all inspire me. And when I was researching you, I really enjoyed the the the, the, the pain to purpose bit of alliteration. I mean, that's another really extraordinary catchphrase of, of helping or enabling people to turn pain into purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I guess we all have the ability to choose how we respond to something because I really do believe you know it's not actually about what happens to us that's important it really is what we do with it at the end of the day that's what matters yes um, it's how you get up again and the idea that yeah it's not what knocks us down it's how we stand back up yeah absolutely next thing that's inspired you uh, well I have to be a proud Jewish mama and say my kids obviously <laughs> obviously um they're all, they're all just brilliant, you know. I want them to be independent, fierce, strong women. So sometimes I have to, you know, go, oh, I've created this <laughs> when I'm having a hard time from them. But, yeah, they're all, they're all brilliant. They all know where they want to be in life and they're just doing, their, just doing the journey. And no doubt being very proud of their of their well, mom who let them have what was the I can have a what was it a shot of the shoot a shot on the shoot ma <laughs> <laughs> so it was three wasn't it you have three girls yeah and, three and girls. then I kind of think why would life give me girls you know why would you do that to me whoever produced whoever sent them to me why why would you give me girls so that was a journey you know I realised that 
if I wasn't careful, I could project my fears onto my children because it, you know, when Anna was 11 and she was going up to the call at high school in Scotland, secondary school, and she wanted to take the bus with all of her pals. And I had driven her everywhere because I was very protective, Jewish, and also because of what happened to me. Um, and, and I was terrified and I thought, you know, I need to let her live her life and be with her friends. So I allowed her to go and I gave her a rape alarm. I gave her, you know, um, the mobile phone. Don't listen to your, your music with your earbuds in. And then I saw her get on that bus and then I drove my car behind that bus. And I just thought, you are crazy. You have the chance to infect your children's brains. You are going to transfer every single fear over to them that you possess. And that's when I thought I've got to let them live their life to be free spirits that I want them to be. So at 15, she had fake ID. They were having prees at my house. They were all going clubbing and, you know, doing what normal teenagers are meant to do. I just did what a normal teenager was meant to do, but it just went really bad for me. So that's all I did. I just went on a night out, which is what most kids will do at some point. Most kids will lie to their parents. Most kids will drink when their parents won't know they're drinking. So... I've always just wanted to have communication with them just to be honest and for them never to lie to me. That's always been the biggest thing. So, yeah, I am I am really proud of who they all are. Very relatable, by the way, everything you're describing. My own children are 22, Lily, my daughter, and Stan, because I love Stan Laurel as my son of 14. Aww. And so, you know, we're, we're moving through exactly the phase. You know, I speak ute in that I understand what prees is. <laughs> 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 Very good. So now then, I think we're on to two things that never fail to hoot squirrels, uh, grab your attention. What are your lovely monsters of distraction that never fail to draw you away from whatever else you're focusing on? Well, it has to be courage, really, doesn't it? Courage never, ever fails to impress me. Because I think when we tap into our courage, whoever it is, we're just being authentic. We're just being real. And I think when we're not being real, people can see it. You know, we can... Whether you can verbalize it you just know when someone's scamming you really don't you but you know when someone's genuine and you know when they're real and i think that is being vulnerable being authentic and being courageous so yeah courage will always impress me and by the way that's what's so beautiful about your description about your purpose you know turning pain into purpose you being the courage cultivator you're very good with alliteration if i may say (laughs) why thank you (laughs) (laughs) Even a shot of the shoot, the courage cultivator, <laughs> paint a purpose, and the courage cultivator. Lovely stuff. Okay, um, you, you're allowed another squirrel if you oh, like. Is that courage? Well, I guess it is kind of linked, but people that can do amazing feats. So I just watched it on Netflix. I'd actually already listened to a podcast show, um, the peak performance with this young man, Nims Perger. And he has, it's on Netflix at the moment, it's called 14 Peaks. He's the only man to have climbed all 14 peaks in Himalayas, Nepal, Pakistan, China, I think, that are over 8,000 metres. So I do 900 metres in a day on a Munro, and he's, you know, in the ice, climbing, people are dying, no oxygen, and he's, like, just getting into his prime. When I'm at the top, I'm feeling great. At 8,000 metres, that's when he feels great. And I think, whoa, amazing. (laughs) Whoa, dude, (laughs) amazing. Lovely stuff. Okay, now one quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us. I have a black belt in karate. And did the self-defence desire come about because of what had happened as well? or as a It wasn't really to do with self-defence. It was a stage in my life when I was really still terrified of men and I thought, how can I... Um, 
put myself into places that scare me, but safely, which is kind of a bit of an oxymoron there. But I wanted to challenge all the fears that I saw that I had. I woke up to the fears that I was still terrified of being out of control, terrified of being around men. So my friend was going to karate with her kids and I went along with her. And I just thought it's a way for me to work my fears, both of being out of control and being around men. And I started when I was 41 and I'm 56 now, so I'm still going. And yeah, I'm not scared at all anymore. And um, if, but if I may, could ask you, you you seem to me as if you've discovered your trust again in you know mankind, yeah. in humanity, despite the adversity. Would you say that's... Absolutely. You know, I have seen the worst of men, without a doubt. Absolutely. I know one of them was more than capable of killing me. In fact, his friend, the other man involved, stopped him from killing me. So I have definitely seen the worst of men, but I've seen the best of men too. You know, it's actually men that have really helped me along my journey, different therapists I've worked with, shamans, alternative therapists. A lot of them have been men. So it was a lot for me to trust men. And when I was really challenging myself. Uh, the therapist I eventually chose was a male American and these two young men were American. So I purposely put myself into situations that scared me because I realized that my fears, which I think is the same for everybody else, was all based on my imagination. Everything was based on what had happened to me or what could happen to me. If I stayed with right here, right now, in the middle of a karate class, for example, I was actually okay. I, I was safe. I was fine. So I had to really learn to ground myself, get back into my body, not listen to my fears or my imagination and just stay present. So that's really what I try to do. And you've just made me think of the American werewolves in London, the two <laughs> that you're describing. Good grief. Yeah. Yes. Um, so now we're going to, um, that's one of the most profound and wonderful shakings of the canopies that I've experience thank you very much indeed for that thank you for the lovely pockets of alliteration in there the courage cultivator the shot in the shoot and all that shit <laughs> okay now we're going to move away from the tree and uh, stay in the clearing and we're talking about alchemy and gold now you're giving me alchemy and gold by the bucket load anyway but in your future focus in what you now do when you're at purpose and in flow madeleine black what do you most like to bring to the world uh, I, I never realised I could be a speaker. I, I never, ever saw me standing on a stage or speaking virtually or with real life people. But I realised that it's not about me. It's about um, who's listening and the power of sharing our stories, what it can do for other people. I have been very fortunate. I've been interviewed by amazing people, radio and TV. And I was interviewed by Sir Trevor MacDonald, which was pretty fabulous, as you Legend. can imagine. Yes. So meeting him was amazing. But, you know, afterwards, my friend's mum got in touch to say, and my friend got in touch to say her mum had been listening to the show. And basically, to cut a long story short, she ended 64 years of silence. After listening to me on the radio, she told her daughter that she had also been raped as a teenager. And in that moment, I just saw how powerful it is when we share our stories that um, the ripple effect of where the words go, we never know who they reach. And people have contacted me you know, I, I heard you speak three years ago and I've always thought about what you said and now I'm going to go for help. And, you know, it is powerful when we can really share our story for the purpose of others. And that, I think, perhaps is my destiny now. That's what I was maybe meant to survive it for that reason, to go on to support other people, to find their voice. Sharing your story for the purpose of others. Again, just beautifully positioned. Thank you. Um, 
with your book then, Unbroken, Used, Beaten, But Never Broken, which you are really describing beautifully, if we put it on a metaphorical plinth now, here in the mm-hmm. sort of good book series strand, um, would you like to read an extract of your choosing? Sure. I have, I have a copy just here. Oh. Um, yeah, so this is you the bit. the camera. We, I am obviously going to use the film as well. So there it is. Oh, there we go. Is that a picture of you as a girl or is it? It's not actually because you know what? They ask for a photo of you at that time, but my parents just had a little um, Polaroid. The the quality would have been rubbish. (laughs) So they just go to the the bank wherever they hold their photos and they just just pick one. And your book was published um, in 2017, if I've done it. It was, yeah. It was was a little while ago, but I've now on Audible. And just a few months ago, I'm now Italian. So I've had a translation, so that's quite exciting. Yeah, so the, the chapter I, I read, because I realise not everybody has experienced rape, but I think a lot of people have experienced fears. So I read the chapter called Facing Fears. It's chapter 33. And do you, just mind, do you mind me asking, because of me managing time, how long is your chapter? It is uh, two pages. My dear madam... The chapter of your book, <laughs> Unbroken, over to you. Chapter it's a wee chapter. Okay. A wee chapter. So over the course of so many years, I'd worked hard to understand, process and transcend the events from one night that drastically changed the direction of my life. I had three beautiful daughters. I worked as a volunteer to help women who had been the victim of violence. I gained a degree in psychotherapy, been through years of therapy and bodywork, but still two obstacles remained. So far, I had done nothing that had taken away my fears about men and being out of control. If I looked at my life like a big house, I could see I'd worked hard for so many years to inspect every square inch to find the messes and clean them up. I realized these fears were like the last room to clear before I could be at peace with my house, with what had happened to me with my life. I had learned from therapy that the way in was the way out. Only by facing it all could I really understand, process, and ultimately come to terms with what had happened to me. I asked myself, what's fear anyway? Two acronyms came to mind. False evidence appearing real and face everything and rise. I had heard these many years before and used both as reminders whenever I felt strong bolts of fear. But did I really want fear to walk alongside me for the rest of my life? I decided we'd been roommates in my body and my mind for far too long, and it was time to give notice of eviction. It was clear to me that my fears held me back from really living and enjoying my life. They kept me more in my mind, always analysing a situation for safety and strategizing an escape plan if necessary. But why should I do that when there was no real danger? By worrying about what had happened to me in my distant past, I was worrying about what was going to happen next in my present life. Then it hit me, I suddenly realized my fears didn't really exist, that they were all coming from my memories and my imagination. During one of his teachings, Imaho said that fear is a very old entity, something that serves a specific purpose. It comes to aid people when their lives are in danger. It answers a silent call that puts, that people put out. It comes in, does its job and leaves. It gets the adrenaline pumping and helps us get ourselves out of imminent danger. It's impossible for fear to remain in one's body. What remains are the memories of the fear, but not the actual fear itself. Imaho's words now made more sense than ever. And so I decided I wanted to start living more in reality, more in the present time in order to feel alive and enjoy my life. I felt that I was the one sabotaging myself, always holding 
myself back by constantly keeping the events of the past fresh and active in my daily life, and it was time for this to stop. The fears or the memories of them kept me restricted and in prison. They also defined me, but I'm not just a woman who has been raped. I am much more than that. And yet I was so conditioned, so programmed by my experience that it affected all aspects of my life. I felt determined to break this and lift all the veils that clouded my decisions, all my perceptions of life. I began to wake up to the fact that I was not just made up of one experience. Everything made me. All the events of my life made me the woman that I am. All these years, I had been so concerned with my safety and protection that I was protecting myself from living too. I asked myself, did I want to carry on avoiding aspects of life or did I want to start experiencing life? First, I made the decision to find ways to get more comfortable around men. After all these years, all men were still potential threats to me. Time to end that. Next, I wanted to act spontaneously, to do things out of the ordinary without wondering if men would be present, if I would be by myself, if it would be dark outside, if I'd have to take public transport or I'd be in a new situation. I wanted to live free from the gravitational pull of my memories. I longed to discover what it meant to be more carefree and living in the now. I realized that most of my fears were about what could happen and not what had already happened to me in the past. The worst thing imaginable to most women had already happened to me. It was as if I was constantly trying to close the stable door after the horse had bolted. But I had survived it and it wasn't happening to me anymore. I was determined to get past this once and for all, not just for me, but for my children as well. I'd shown them what it was to survive something, but now it was time to show them what it was like to live a full life. Because if I continued to carry fear around like ugly baggage chained to my wrist, it could easily transfer to them. And then what would have been the point of bringing three children into this world? I wanted them to be confident and independent, and it was up to me to set that example. Looking back, I cringed to myself, thinking about when Anna started high school. I gave her a rape alarm for her pocket. What kind of message was that? I wanted to drive her to school every day, but she insisted on taking the bus. So despite feeling scared for her, I let her do that. She didn't know that I used to follow behind the bus in my car to make sure she got there safely. This had to stop. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Madeleine. So that was an extract of unbroken, used, beaten, but never broken. And now uh, we move away from the plinth that has your wonderful book on it. And at the very end, you can tell us exactly where to find it and where else to find out about you on the internet. So wow, I'm going to, in, in, sorry, and now, not and wow, and wow. And now I'm going to award you with a cake for okay. having graced us with your presence here in the Good Listening uh, to Clearing. So uh, the cake is another final storytelling metaphor where you can, it's a multi-layered cake okay. where I'd love to hear from you stuff like a favourite inspirational quote that's always given you sucker and pulled you towards your future. And it could be, and also rather, um, what advice you might proffer to a younger version of yourself and what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given yeah. and then finally inspired by Shakespeare and all the world to stage and all the men and women merely players um, I'm going to invite you to talk about legacy and how when all is said and done even though you're implying a lot of 
the texture of this, how you would most like to be remembered. Yeah, well, I would go back and tell my 13-year-old self the advice I would give her. It was never her fault. You know, if I had stopped blaming, shaming, feeling that guilt for years, I might have come to this place quicker <laughs> of being healed. But the shame just kept me quiet. I don't like to have regrets and I don't really like to think if I did this and that would have happened. But, uh, yeah, I would just go back and tell her it was never her fault. Lovely and perfect. Yeah. And then a favourite inspirational quote? Well, I shall read you the quote that I put inside the cover of my book who... Actually, even her books inspired me as well. It's um, Maya Angelou, because until I had read her book, I'd, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, I didn't know you could write about rape and, and hope it all in the same book. I'd never written, read a book that had rape in it before, and it really shocked me, but it, it gave me something to, that resonated with me. You know, it made a lot of sense, and it, I, whether I could verbalise it or not, my, there was a vibration going in my, in my system, and I recognised a lot... You know, her, my words, my heart were really mixed amongst her pages when I read it and it, it was powerful. So I have inside my book, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. And it always gets me <laughs> every time. Yeah. It's so profound and links to yeah. and still I rise and still I rise. Absolutely. I, I love um, my Angelou quote. I love them. Yeah. Right. Particularly, never, people ne never remember what you say, but they always remember how you make them feel. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't know whether she said the one. I think that might have been Oprah Winfrey. But yeah, it's just as good. <laughs> Lovely. And, and by the way, just say that quote again, because I think it's worth repositioning. Uh, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. And indeed, you are majestic despite what you've been through and because of what you've been through. That was really beautifully positioned. OK, where can we find out more about you? Go as deep as you like, uh, Madeleine Black, into your URLs about where else we can find oh, out more about you. Just pop onto my website, which is madeleineblack.co.uk, and you'll find out about the book, the podcast, you know, all my social media channels are there. Um, everything's there. So, yeah, or do a search, you will find me. So you've been listening to me, Chris Grimes, and this has been uh, Madeleine Black, the Courage Cultivator. As this is your moment in the sunshine, here you are in the clearing of the good listening to in the Good Books series strand, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Is there anything else, uh, Madeleine, you'd like to say? Yeah, I never gave you my Shakespeare quote. Ah, OK. But I can do that. She may be little, but she is fierce. I quite like that one. <laughs> That is that um, that's uh, from Midsummer Night's Dream, isn't it? Well, I would have to take your word on that. You are the actor, not myself. So uh, I've never known where it's come from, but I've always liked it. I'm at five foot two. I'm one of the tall ones in my family. My dad was only five foot. So I just thought, yeah, it's not about what it, people it, think we are. You know, our hearts or our courage can be big, even if we're we. It's Hermia from Midsummer Night's Dream, I believe. OK, there you go. Um, Every day's a school day. Lovely. And um, legacy, how would you most like to be remembered? And, and so happy you kept me in the clearing because I nearly forgot to ask you that. <laughs> You're just busy away from the clearing. Yeah, just um, someone who found her voice because of other people and now she just intends to pay that forward and help other people to find their voice. So I just stand on the shoulders of many, many great men and women that came before me who also had the courage to speak their truth, whatever their truth is, 
And I, I really just intend to pay that forward for others. To That's my purpose. There is something definitely fierce about you and there's nothing little about you. You are majestic, I think. And uh, thank you so much. It's been a real, real privilege uh, speaking to you. Uh, so, um, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Madeleine Black, the Courage Cultivator. This has been a LinkedIn live recording on LinkedIn as well. And this will be on UK Health Radio shortly and also in the Buzzsprout space where I too host my podcast alongside Madeleine's too. And just remind us the name of your podcast. Uh, I am called Unbroken Healing Through Storytelling. Of course you are. And I'm sure there's lots more lovely alliteration in there as well. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Until next time, until uh, your good health and good night. Stay there while I press stop record. So, uh, Madeleine, we've had a wonderful conversation together here in a good book series strand of the Good Listening To podcast. Can I just ask you the open question? What's been your experience of being here in the Good Listening To clearing? Ah, I just think you come, you approach an interview in a very unique and individual way. So it's been great. It made me think. Normally, I sit down, they ask me questions, and I can reel off the answers. But yeah, it was good to make me think. <laughs> Wonderful, and it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Anything else you'd like to say about being here? Oh, <laughs> you put me on the spot now. No, just thank you. I'm always grateful to share my story and to, to help other people to find their own courage and to find their own voice to share their story wonderful i shall stop recording there you've been listening to the good listening to show here on uk health radio with me chris grimes oh it's myself if you've enjoyed the show then please do tune in next week to listen to more stories from the clearing if you'd like to connect with me on linkedin then please do so there's also a dedicated facebook group for the show too you can contact me about the program or if you'd be interested in experiencing some personal impact coaching with me care of my level up your impact program that's chris at secondcurve.uk on twitter and instagram it's at that chris grimes so until next time from me chris grimes from uk health radio and from stan to your good health and goodbye